Good morning, church. The year was 1905, and there was a baseball game taking place between the Rylites and the Beaties. It was in Salt Lake City, and the batter stepped up to the plate, and he hit a ground ball straight towards first base. And as the first baseman went to grab the ball, the ball hit a rock, and it, it ricocheted off to the side. Luckily, the first baseman was able to run over and grab the ball before it, it went out, and he tagged the, uh, the runner out. And, he didn't want the rock to interfere with the game, so he went over and grabbed the rock and he was about to throw it off to the side as he looked at it. And he noticed there was something different about this rock, so he put it into his pocket. After the game was over, he, he went back out to the field and he took a buck and he began to grab all the rocks out of the field. The next day, he took him to his, his say office and he had the the man looked at him, and the man confirmed with what he thought that he had. He said, you found gold. So the man, he, he quickly called up a couple of his buddies, and they bought up the ball field, knowing what they had had. And because of this, they became very wealthy and very well off. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning, and that's how, how did this man become rich? It's because he found something that nobody else had noticed. And, and when he found it, he, he knew what he had had, and because of that, he became very well off. In our text today, Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to turn and hold in waiting, will be in verse 12 and 13. In our text today, Paul tells us that we found something that others may not have noticed. And he, he says that it's important that we know what we found. Because he says when we know what we found, it can make us very well off. Paul told the Christians at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. He says, remember that before you'd become Christians, you'd been separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what Paul's saying to the Ephesians here, he's saying, remember what you have. Remember what you have. And that's the reason that we come here every week. Every, every Sunday we assemble together. That's the reason why the women have Bible studies every Wednesday and, and, and men have Bible studies on Mondays and we have youth groups on Sundays. That's the reason we assemble together so we remember what we have. The truth is that if we don't remember then it's going to be easy for us to forget and be t tempted by the world to, to drift back into the ways that were before we became Christians. To drift back into the, the old way of living, the things that we have done before we gave our lives to Christ, and, and for some of us, that would be a very, very bad thing. So this morning, we're going to remember what we have. And the first thing and the most important thing that we're going to remember is that we have Jesus. Verse 13 said, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. In other words, all that we have and all that we are is because of the blood of Jesus. And that's so critical for us today that so important that, that he, he said, make this a part of your worship. And what part of worship is he talking about? Is he talking about the singing or, or the preaching? He's talking about the communion. And that's why we offer communion every Sunday, that we come together and, and we partake of these emblems, that we spend time in, in remembering Jesus and the sacrifice that he made. Remembering as, as we take the blood, we remember the body of Jesus that was broken and the blood that he shed on the cross for our sins. And this is so crucial for us because it's the blood of Jesus that offers us the forgiveness of our sins. And without it, we have nothing. But we need to remember Jesus. And it's, is it possible, I want to ask you the question, is it possible... That if we're to remember Jesus, is it possible that we could forget Jesus? As Christians, is it possible for us to forget Jesus? The answer to that question is yes. And the reason that Christians might forget Jesus is they start loving something else more than they love him. And I want you to think about that this morning, and I want you to ask yourself the question, is there something in your life that you love more than Jesus? Is there something in your life that you've made a priority over him? I read a story of a man from Egypt who's, who uh, had asked some visiting preachers to pray for his son. The man's son had fallen in love with a Muslim woman, and he was determined that he was going to marry this woman, but in order to do so, he had to reject his faith in Christ. He had to convert to Islam. And the reason why this upset the, the father so much was this. Did his son love this woman more than he loved Jesus? Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37 and 38, he said, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Friends, if you love something else in this world more than you love Jesus, then you've got a serious problem. And it's a problem that needs dealt with right now, today, this morning. Because the truth is, if you love something else, that something else will always compete for your love for him. Why is that so important? Well, it's because this. It's because Jesus said in John 14, 23 and 24, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and I will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. My father-in-law and myself were talking this last week. He came into town and uh, just for a couple of days, and, and I, I enjoy when they come to town because we can talk about some things um, biblically that that uh, my wife prefer that I not get into. I like to talk about a lot of end times things, a lot of revelation things, and, and my wife, when I bring it up to her, she's like, I don't want to hear it. I'm just ready to go. I just want to be ready for Jesus. I don't I don't worry about the details, but we get into some discussions, and, 
And one of the things that my father-in-law said, there's a lot of people that come to church that aren't committed to Christ. There's a lot of people that come to church each week that they follow the rules and they go through the motions each week. But they're not committed to him. In fact, they, they come and they do these things out of obligation. And when these, these other things come along, when there's something else that comes along and it, it grabs their attention, what's well, no big deal to just shift over to that other thing when we want to. So we need to remember that we have Jesus because if we don't, then we might drift away from his love. And, and friends, that would not be a good thing. Secondly, we need to remember that we belong. We belong. Paul reminded the Gentile Christians at Ephesus. He said at one time they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant promise. See, they weren't part of Israel. They didn't have any promises, and they just didn't belong. There was nowhere for them. But what Paul's saying is, you do now because of the blood of Jesus. You belong. Over the years, I've, I've learned that most people want to belong. Right? That we, we want to belong to something. We want to belong to someone, something, somewhere. We, we just want to have that sense of belonging. They like to know that they're part of something. And that's why peer pressure is such a powerful force among our young people today. And not just young people, but older people as well. We struggle with peer pressure. You remember adults when you were in school. Kids, you know what it's like now as you're in school, facing peer pressure. And the jocks, they want to hang out with the jocks. Cheerleaders, they... They stick with their cheerleaders. The partiers stick together. And if you're not part of that crowd, then you just simply don't fit in and you don't belong. And I remember back to sixth grade specifically, I, I just didn't belong. I wasn't part of the crowd. I, I didn't fit in. We didn't have a whole lot of money growing up. And, and, and a lot of times... Uh, if I got new clothes, they came from Walmart, if they were the nice ones. Otherwise, my mom just found something at a garage sale, and that's what I wore to school. Well, I remember uh, there was this kid in my class, his name was Tom, and he was a really fast kid, and, and uh, everybody looked up to him because he was the fast one, and, and I wanted to be like him, and I wondered, what makes Tom so fast? And I noticed that Tom had these special shoes. They were brown shoes, and the, the sole of the shoe, it wrapped over toe of the shoe. I don't know if you've ever seen a shoe like that. So I thought, man, that's that's the secret. That's the key. The shoes. So I went home that day after school and I told my mom, mom, I need some new shoes. And my shoes were pretty worn out. So, And we didn't have any money, so my mom uh, sent me to the store with my grandpa so my grandpa could buy me some new shoes. And, and I remember as we got to the shoe store, my grandpa found these, these Nikes. They were probably really cool shoes, but I said, grandpa, that's not what I want. I want some brown shoes. The kind of shoes where the sole wraps over the toe of the shoe. That's what I want. And the shoe salesman heard me. He said, well, I've got some of those. And he brought them out. I said, yes, that's the shoe that I want because that's going to make me run fast. So that's the shoe that my grandpa bought me. So I went home, and the next day I got ready for school. And and uh, my mom had bought me some pants at a garage sale. They were green kind of plaid golf pants that came up above my ankle. 
they're a little high on me, and I put on my brown shoes, and I never will forget that day at school was probably one of the worst days I've ever had in my life. I got made fun of the entire day, and, and when it was time for recess, we went out for recess, and, and they played kickball every day at recess, and there was two captains, and they would pick one than the other. And it came down to me and a girl being the last two picked. And I didn't get picked to play kickball. So I went over and I played tetherball for myself the rest of the recess. You can go ahead and give me the alls. I feel bad for me now. <laughs> the thing is, I, I didn't belong. I didn't fit into the crowd. I didn't fit into the mold of what I was expected to be. I remember how much I wanted to be accepted and how much I wanted to belong into a group, but I, I, I never was. And that's how things are in this world that we live in. If you don't fit in, you're not accepted. You don't belong. Years ago on the, the TV show 2020, they, they did a story dealing with a company that sold baby chicks, and, and the chicks were put on a conveyor belt, and they were sent down the line, and, and they were picked off the conveyor, conveyor belt by... Um, size, general looks, their sex, their appearance, how, how they appeared uh, coming down the conveyor line. And if, if they fit into the, the proper mold, then they were plucked off the line and they were placed into a box. If they didn't fit in, they stayed on the conveyor belt and they rode it out to the end, fell to the floor, and that's where they died. You see, friends, that's the way of this world. If you don't fit into the certain box, you're not accepted and you don't belong to a group. And that's the way of this world. If you don't fit into the box, you're not accepted. You don't belong anywhere. You, you, don't, you don't fit into what the world wants you to be. <coughs> but with Jesus, he changed it for us. It doesn't matter how good looking you are, how smart you are, how successful you are, how much money you have, if you wear green golf pants and brown shoes to school, it doesn't matter because all that matters is that you're willing to let him become your Lord and your master. And with Jesus, we are accepted. And we do belong. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, says, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. And so you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See, because in Christ, we're accepted. In him, we belong. So we need to remember that we have Jesus because we have Jesus. We belong to something. We belong to something that's more exciting and that's more fulfilling than anything that this world will ever offer. And in addition to that, we have hope. Paul told the Ephesians that at one time they were without hope. They got to thinking about hope and hope in what? And as I was working on this message... There was a story that came to mind from Acts 26 where Paul answered that question. He was on trial before King Agrippa. And he said, I stand on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to, to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain. 
as they earnestly worship night and day. And what's that hope? Paul answered with this statement in Acts 26, 6-8. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises from the dead? And that was his hope that God would raise from the dead. Because you see, without Jesus, there's no hope for life after death. Death is a scary thing because death is a scary thing. We fear death. The thing about death is it's inevitable and it's permanent. And one day we'll all die. A famous atheist described death in this way. The life of a man is a long march through the night, surrounded by invisible foes, tortured by weariness and pain, towards a goal that few can hope to reach and where none can tarry long. One by one, as they march, our comrades vanish from, from our sight, seized by the silent orders of omnipotent death, brief and powerless in man's life. On his and all his race, the slow, sure doom falls. Pitiless and dark, blind to good and evil, reckless of destruction, omnipotent matter rolls on its relentless way. For man condemned today to lose his dearest, tomorrow himself to pass through the gates of darkness. It remains only to cherish, ere yet the blow falls, the lofty thoughts that enable his little days. Wow. There was a young boy, five years old, Grandfather passed away, and he went with his mother to the funeral. And you know, he's like looking down to the six-foot hole. He looks up to his mother, and he he asks, "Mom, how's Grandpa going to get out of there?" Because you see, the young boy just simply didn't know. And the truth is, without Jesus, you don't either. But today, our hope is in Christ. And it's a hope of a physical resurrection and eternal life. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and 15 declares, Since the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We don't have to fear death because Jesus has already conquered it. He broke the chains of power of the grave so that we will have hope of eternal life. And lastly, we need to remember what we have in God or that we have in God. We don't just have any God, but we have the one true God. We have the real thing. He's alive today. You see, Paul told the Ephesians that they were without God. But what did, what did Paul mean that they were without God? Because we know that the Ephesians, they had all kinds of pagan gods. In fact, Ephesus, it was the center of worship for the goddess Artemis. Artemis and, and, and they had an elegant, beautiful temple that they had built for her. And, and, and people would come from miles away to spend time in this, this city and in this temple to worship this pagan god. You see, the Ephesians, they had gods. But Paul says that they were without God. 
What he's saying here is they were without a God that could do anything. He was saying that their gods were worthless. Their gods were powerless. Back in the Old Testament, God made fun of pagans who worshipped gods. Psalm 115, 3-7. Our God's in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. But their idols are silver and gold. The works of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. In other words, these gods that are made of silver and gold, they're worthless. They have no power. They can't offer anything. They can't offer help. They can't do anything. But nowadays, in our modern age, we think that we're more intelligent than that, right? We no, we no longer worship the gods of the past. We don't worship these idols. We don't bow down to pagan idols. But the truth is that our generation has. They merely swap gods. We have new gods. Amongst those gods is me, you, and them, so-called this new religion, humanism. That the religion where humans are, are now gods. John F. Kennedy said it this way. He said, our problems are man-made. Therefore, they cannot be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. Those who heard Kennedy say those words, they undoubtedly applauded, his words, as, as I'm sure that uh, they were excited and they praised his wisdom because of what he had said. It, it sounds so encouraging and so comforting. But a famous philosopher revealed the darker side of this religion of humanism. He said, man can count on no one but himself. He's alone, abandoned on earth in the midst of this infinite responsibilities without help, with no other aim than the one that he sets himself with no other destiny than the one that he forges for himself on this earth. And if humanism is true, if man is, is his own God, then we're all alone. We're abandoned on this earth and we're without any help. But the Bible says that that's not true. We're not all alone. Because when you became a Christian, you received a real God that has real power. And that real God that we have, he's, he's given that power to us. We have a song that we sing sometimes in our worship time. And it, it's a song that's called The Same Power. And it goes like this. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us, lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks. The same power that can calm the raging sea lives in us, lives in us. The words of this song are based on the scripture from Romans chapter 8, verse 11. 
says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it, it lives in you and it lives in me. Because that's true. Because we are now a people who have Jesus, who belong to his kingdom, who live by his hope and, and who live in the power of our God. We can echo the words of the sermon that someone preached years ago. Because this is who we are. The words go like this. Because I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back. I won't let up, slow down, or back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished, I'm done with the living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, pain visions, mundane, mundane talking, cheap living, morph goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, top, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, and I lean on his presence. And I walk by patience. I'm lifted by prayer and I labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. And my mission is, is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice and negotiate on the table of the enemy ponder at the poor popularity or, me, or meander at the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, I won't shut up, and I won't let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. For I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till I'll know, work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, will have no problem recognizing me for I, for my banner, will be clear. And I hear an amen to that this That's the kind of life that we can live if we simply remember what we found what we've got in Jesus Christ. Friends, if you don't have Jesus, you won't have him. you have an opportunity. Because some of you are struggling right now. You're walking right Some of you come to these doors each week and, and, and you're just not devoted. You're not committed. You like you need to be. We go through the ritual. We sing the songs. We listen to the sermon. Then when we walk out those doors and we go through the week and, and live, live our lives, we go right back to the, the things we've done before. God's given you an opportunity this morning to make things right with Him this day. 
Some of us, we might need to walk forward here and make a decision that, that, that we've been lost. We need to recommit our lives and, and, and walk with Him. Somebody here this morning may not have made that decision yet to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You may not have asked Him into your heart and, and, and you just want to do that. You need to take the next step serving Him and making Him the Lord of your life. If that's you this morning, I want to offer you this invitation. I want to ask you to come. We stand as we sing.